those old family shows and they glorify the dysfunctional families and put them forth as the norm. But thank God we do have good families today. But today, tonight, we look at David's family that started well. It had cracks in the foundation and it got worse, uh, somewhat dysfunctional. Now, I remember uh, David and Bathsheba and what happened and Nathan's rebuke and his prophecy that would David's sin would filter down to his children. He had at least 10 sons, not counting that baby that died, plus daughters, and we don't know how many. And uh, these uh, others, with, with all those wives and sons and daughters, they were a lot of half-brothers and sisters. By the way, one of them was named Daniel. But the oldest was Amnon, who would be the heir to the throne, and then after him, Absalom. Keep that in mind as we look at the story tonight. Now, growing up in the palace, they lived the life of luxury. They didn't have to work. Uh, you ever wonder what it's like to grow up with your parents very wealthy or in the royal family? A life of luxury, just hobbies, a lot of wealth, power, prestige, fame. But, as we will see, also sex, lies, and murder, even in the family. And you find out some of these families, remember there was a TV show, was it Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous? I used to say Lifestyles of the Degenerate and Decadent. And they have all sorts of sordid lives. So we're going to look at what happened with David's family and how it broke his family, uh, his heart. So we're looking particularly at three bad examples. First one is what happened between Amnon and Tamar, his half-sister. This was the oldest son, and evidently several years has passed since David's sin with Bathsheba, but God has not forgotten. And um, it says that uh, Amnon falls in love with Tamar, his half-sister. And, but it wasn't true love, as we'll see, it was just lust. And he knows that he really can't have her as his wife, but he's just burning for her. And, and then it says here that she's very beautiful, very decent, very humble. We, she brings cooked food, even though she was a princess. She didn't just say, I'll let my maids in waiting do all the work. No, nothing bad is said about this young lady. But something is bad said not only about Amnon, but about his friend, uh, Jonadab. So he knows what's going on in Amnon's mind. So he says, I've got an idea how you can get her. So he suggests a plan to seduce Tamar. And uh, the plan is, well, pretend to be sick. And David will come and say, what can we do for you? And so at that point, say, well, send Tamar to bring me food right here. I can't even get out of bed. And that's what happened. And she, uh, she comes with the food. And you know the rest of the story, he sexually assaulted her and shamed her. And to add insult to injury, then uh, she says, you know, you've shamed me. And so he calls for a servant and says, get this woman out of here. Um, just kind of throws her out like that and says that she's running away, tearing her clothes, um, putting dirt on her head. That was the custom for grieving. And she's weeping bitterly and goes over to her brother Absalom's house. He wants some comfort and guidance. Somehow David hears about this because, you know, there would be servants and they'd whisper and gossip and word gets back to David. And 
like any other father, he is furious. He hits the ceiling. How could he do this thing? Um, but we're told he did not punish Amnon. And that was his big mistake. He should have. He should have said, well, the law of Moses says, do this. Do what? He was subject to the death penalty. He got off. Now, let's talk about Amnon. You've heard me say, when you see a bad example in the Bible, see, what should this person have been like? You see a good example, what would be the opposite? Well, he's a bad example. It says he, quote, loved her, but the uh, Hebrew word is kind of a broad word, and it's used somewhat loosely, like people today say, I love somebody, but then they'll turn around and say, I love a good hamburger. Well, what's the same, what do you have, they have in common? Well, it's a very flexible word. So he says he loves her, but it wasn't true love. It was simply sexual desire and lust. True love would wait, but lust cannot wait. It's selfish. True love cares for the other person. Amnon didn't care anything about her and her feelings before or after. Um, TV and the media today would glorify a guy like Amnon. Guys in the bar would say, hey, good for you. Look at Amnon. You're cool. And it's, that's the kind of lifestyle you see with popular musicians, athletes, stars in movies, and things like that. Uh, you know, we used to have names for guys like this when they were considered the, the scum of society. They'd, in England, they'd say he's a cad. Over here, we'd say he's a scoundrel, a wolf, a no-good such-and-such. And that's what Amnon was. You can't, you can't find anything good about this, guys. Now, here's two, two applications. Boys should not imitate Amnon. And you parents should teach your sons, don't be like this. On the other hand, a lesson for girls, stay away from guys like this. And that's where the mothers can say, honey, let me tell you, that guy that looks so cool, riding a motorcycle and drinking beer and all this, stay away from him. I know he's no good, but mama, he's nice. Stay away from a guy like that. He's imitating Amnon. So his so-called love for um, Tamar turns to hatred. And, uh, and it says in the text, he hated her now as much as he had loved her. And that shows how fickle it was and how sinful it kind of turns all the way around, throws her out like a sack of garbage. And of course, the lesson there is you can't build a sta stable relationship on a foundation of lust. It has to be biblical love. And a lot of people don't know what that is and non-Christians haven't a clue. Fathers need to teach their sons about love, lust, marriage, good examples to follow, bad examples to avoid. Good place to start is the book of Proverbs. Old Solomon saying, my son, look out for certain women, don't be like this, and so forth. And, of course, fathers should show in their lives a good example. So Amnon was grossly immoral because, according to the Bible, all sex outside of marriage is always wrong. It's sin. People powder it up today and say, well, such and such is sexually active or they're born this way or something. No, they're making excuses. I'm sure Amnon would have made excuses. He certainly did with his friend Jonadab. But then he compounds his immorality in several ways. Notice the deceit uh, in this, covering it up, didn't go and repent. Uh, some men are particularly clever at that sort of a thing, like Satan, deceitful. He deceived uh, Tamar and he tried to deceive other people. And then another bad thing about him is that 
when she wouldn't give in to his advances, he forced himself on her. And the Bible utterly condemns that. And uh, this is where we would agree even with the feminists that say this is a terrible thing. Yes, it is. Um, and to make things triply worse, this was his half-sister. Leviticus 20 talks about incest also being a capital offense. So this guy really has punishment coming. But what about today? Well, the people in society tolerate this sort of a thing and they glorify it. And I think that one day everything that he did will not only be glorified, but will be legalized. Everything sexual be legalized and glorified one day. May God have mercy on our country. Now, it's interesting. He's, she's the half-sister of him. And people would say, well, why couldn't they have gotten married? Well, the Bible doesn't allow hillbillies marrying their sister or their cousin. Well, let me put it for you, to you. Would you know where the lines are to be drawn? I did a study on this years ago because I had to counsel a case like, can they get married? Well, one's adopted and they're cousins. And well, it wasn't easy. So I did some research. And uh, fortunately, there were Christians centuries ago that looked into this. And they say the Bible does draw the line, what you would call consanguinity and affinity. Hands up. Anybody ever even heard those words? Okay, I saw one hand. Yeah, consanguinity means you're of the same bloodline. You can't marry your blood sister, your mother, your father. Um, in, the, in the book of Leviticus, draws a line. You know, after so many degrees, you can marry someone that's like a third or fourth cousin, but not your first cousin. And then affinity means you're related not by blood, but by either marriage or adoption. And it's the same number of degrees. You can't marry your adopted sister, even though you're not physically related. And you can't marry... Uh, this was a big issue in the Reformation. You cannot marry your sister's husband after the sister dies because that's still two degrees too close. Anyway, it's a complicated subject, but uh, people today are ignoring it. But at least the laws of the state say, no, you cannot marry this person or that. Let me throw in a little story. In fact, it's, I read it twice. Uh, a case in North Carolina many years ago, a young man, a young woman fell in love, wanted to get married. She said, I do. So they went down to the marriage bureau to get a marriage license. And in those days, you had to do a blood test. This was long before computer records. So the lady there said, well, come back in two weeks. We'll give you the license. They did. And she says, uh, we can't give you the license to get married. We'll explain. They went back room. And they said, well, according to the laws of North Carolina, you can't marry your sister or your brother. What are you talking about? We never met until six months ago. Um, weren't you both adopted? Yes. Uh, we checked. Uh, in that adoption agency, they separated you. You are brother and sister, and you can't marry each other. What a case. And then years later, I heard about a similar one, but the Bible says you cannot marry within so many degrees of consanguinity or affinity. Let's take a look at Tamar from which we get the name Tamara or Tammy. Young princess, pure, noble, humble, serving, compassionate, somewhat naive though. She should have known, don't go into that man's house and bedroom. And of course, mothers should teach their daughters that. A girl or a woman should never be alone with a boy or a man alone in his house or her house and certainly not in the bedroom. 
I hope you mothers and fathers teach your daughters that. And also, boys, look out when a girl invites you to her house and the parents aren't there and says, I want to show you something in my bedroom. Boys should see the door and run, just like Joseph did in the book of Genesis. So you see, it's not just um, boys like Amnon, but it's girls that imitate that as well. It's simply not proper, decent, or wise. Um, Matt, I remember Al Martin addressing this at a Reformed Baptist Singles Conference, and he spoke very straightforward. And I remember one thing he said, and he got a giggle, but he, he said, I am not joking. He said, when you together and you're alone, he says, you know, four on the floor, all four feet on the floor, don't lean back in each other's arms. He said, that's dangerous. Four on the floor. And you heard a bunch of amens there. Anyway, back to Tamar, she's getting closer to temptation and danger, but did not realize it. Lesson for us is we should stay as far away from any kind of danger. So what should she have done when she got the request to bring food to her half-brother? She should have sent one of her maidservants or one of his servants to pick up the food. Um, um, But she should not have been alone with him. So it's naive, but not guilt. And so these are important principles for dating and courtship. But when you think of Tamar, you think poor girl. Your heart goes out to her. She's innocent, but she suffers. And Amnon thinks he got away with it. And I'm sure his friend pats him on the back and says, hey, good for you. Hey, you're cool. But she would bear the shame and heartache. Now today, a lot of women wouldn't, but as you know, sometimes the victims of rape, it's hidden and goes on for years. And so Tamar felt shamed, heartache. She had wondered, would anybody ever marry me? Um, maybe you know someone like this. If you do, show compassion, patience. Share the love of God with them. And someone should have said, Tamar, you need to go to God. We want to help dry the tears. And that's where God and godly friends can help people that have been through what Tamar went through. And also to remind us, say, Tamar, it wasn't your fault. You may have been a little naive, but there's no guilt. Often victims of this sin feel unnecessary guilt that's transferred to them. Uh, They need to know God's comfort. Also, look at this no good bum named Jonadab. They ought to be, you ought to have been horse whipped. He didn't break the law, but look at the bad advice he gives. And there are a lot of guys like this. I don't know what you call them, scum, dirt bags, no good or whatever. But um, it says here he was a crafty man. That's just pretty much the same word used of Satan in the garden. Remember, the, the serpent was more crafty than any of the animals in the garden. Well, that's what this guy is like. And there are people like that today. Clever, but evil. Do you know anybody like that? Ignore him or her and don't be like them. Well, the story continues. Tamar runs over to Brother Absalom for help, and I'm sure he comforts her. This was his whole sister. But Absalom hits the ceiling when he finds out he did what? And David didn't do anything about this? Some father. And so he's plotting revenge. You see, when a person's angry, it often means I want to get back. And yet he didn't do anything immediately. He was clever, kind of like Jonadab, and he waits two whole years and he 
plots and thinks, how can I get back at him? And of course, he's realizing if Jonadab gets killed, Absalom becomes the next king. So he's thinking about, and so here's his plan. You know the story. He throws a party out in the country, invites his best friends, and invites his half-brother Amnon. And what he does is he gets his friends to say, look, when the party's you know, sitting around the bonfire and everybody's eating, drinking, everybody's relaxing and telling jokes, and, um, and then what, when I give the signal, all you guys pull your swords and go and kill Amnon and then get on your horses and ride. And that's just what happens. And there's Amnon left there with, a, with swords in him. But word gets back to David. What about Absalom? He's not going to go back to, to the palace because he probably says, David may have put up with Amnon. He's not going to put up with cold-blooded murder. I'm out of here. And so he goes and stays with his grandfather for the next two years. But eventually, Absalom, who's also not very good, he cunningly arranges for David to allow him to come back home. You see, David still loved Absalom, just like the prodigal son's father still loved him. And so David is thinking, how, you know, I can't let him back in, but I got to do something. He's kind of on the horns of a dilemma. Uh, but he, again, he's naive and he doesn't punish him. And so Absalom lives in the palace for two years. But David did say, well, you can live here, but you can't see my face. You can't be in my presence because then I'd have to do something. So it's like a half punishment, but I'm sure Absalom's thinking, I got away with this too, just like Amnon. Look at this guy. Um, he's the sort of guy that they would love to make a movie about and make him look good. He's tall, handsome, long hair, a prince, powerful, clever, uh, tall, dark, and handsome, kind of like uh, King Saul. And there's long hair long before the days of the hippies. And he's a prince, powerful, clever. Uh, oh, all the women in Jerusalem would say, oh boy, I'd like to have a man like Absalom. Today he'd be on television, in the movies, an entertainment hero if there ever was one. So after two years, David does agree to see Absalom, but Absalom now, having got away with his murder of his half-brother, is plotting, how am I going to get David out of here so I can get on the throne? I don't want to wait for David to die. I want to, he plots to overthrow David so he gets these other bad guys to work together with him. After all, he would now be the heir to the throne. But like the prodigal son, he didn't want to wait. So we're told that, you remember, all this is taking space over several years. So for the next four years, Absalom is again laying a long-term plan. If he had acted immediately, David would have said, uh-uh, uh-uh, I, I know what he's up to. So what he does is he wins the favor of the people. And he, kind of like a politician today, throwing money to buy votes. And so what he does is he, he sits outside the city gate, and that's where they would hear cases. And he'd say, hey, you, what, what, why are you going to court? Well, I want justice. And he says, you're not going to get it with David and these other guys. I'll give you justice. And, and, you know, side with me, I'll be the next king. And, you know, promise them anything. And he wins the hearts of the people over together with his dashing appearance and personality and a lot of bribes and hugs being thrown around. And then he makes his move after so many years that he's got an army. He's got all these people that liked him and 
the money and promises. You know, if we take over, then I'll pay you. And you know, you want you want power? How much you want to work for me? And that's what politicians do. So he David then hears Absalom's got an army, and someone said, David, you better get out, or they're going to cut your head off. And so David flees, takes some of his family, leaves some of them there to take care of the palace. And again, David is on the run. You remember, he was running for how many years? Seven years from Saul. And now he's on the run. And during this time, he wrote some of the Psalms. And um, then a battle happens between some of the forces of David and the forces of Absalom. And Absalom realizes, "Uh uh-oh, we're going to lose and they're going to capture me and I know what's going to happen. So he gets on his horse and rides off. And this, this, this is... I wonder how they'd picture this in a movie. And he's riding. And remember, I had this long hair, and he keeps looking back. And he rides under a tree that has branches, kind of like a V or a Y, and gets caught, some say by the neck, but I'm inclined to go with others that say it was the hair that caught him. And there he is hanging from the tree, desperately trying to get out of this thing. And he can't. And his other men, they're not going to save him, so they keep riding on their donkeys. And then... Some of David's troops come up led by old Mr. Joab. And I can just picture this, and this is how I'd put it in a movie. Here comes Joab with his other guys, and they surround Absalom hanging from a tree. And I can imagine Joab said, well, 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 what do we have here? Mr. Absalom with the long hair that wanted to overthrow David. Uh Uh-huh, and you know, you can't get away from us now. Well, well, well. And so he says to his men, get out your spears and aim at the heart. And these were rugged soldiers and and Joab too. This is from Joab too. And they leave him hanging there dead. And some of the men die as well. Absalom's men. Anyway, a messenger reports all this back to David. And how do you think he responds? Tears his clothes, weeping. Not just Amnon. And not just Tamar, now it's Absalom. And they're the famous words, Absalom, Absalom, my son, my son, I wish it had been me that died instead of you. Years ago, I read a book by a, uh, a Jewish Christian that told his testimony. And it was called Michael, Michael. And he says it's like Absalom, Absalom, or in the New Testament, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So David now returns to the palace because the attempted revolution is over, the war is over, the revolt is crushed. But back in the palace, old King David is sad, and I'm sure he thinks back of the good old days. That's what happens in families. When the children become prodigals and say, I don't want you or your God, I'm out of here, sometimes the parents think back, to when the children were little kids, like some of the little kids here. I wonder what they'll be like 10 or 20 years from now. And David was thinking, boy, I can still remember Amnon and Absalom playing soldier. And there was Tamar. Uh, she, was, uh, she, she knew she was a princess, and she put on that little make-believe crown. And then now he weeps, thinking they're no longer children. Look what's happened in his family. And that's what ends this, uh, this part of the episode on a very bittersweet note of regret 
and sorrow. And if later Jews ever made a play of this, the, 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 the musicians would have been playing in a minor key, if you know what that means, a very sad dirge. Okay, let's talk about the bad example of Absalom, the brother of Tamar, half-brother of Amnon. Handsome, self-centered, long hair, a disgrace. Long hair, by the way, this is not my opinion. Look it up, 1 Corinthians 11. Long hair on a man is a disgrace. Uh, the other way around, women should have longer hair than men. It's a gender signal. But um, I wrote an article on that once. We may put it on our website. So he's disobeying God. The only, only men that were allowed to have long hair were the Nazarites. Anyway, he takes vengeance on Amnon because of Tamar. And if someone had ever asked him, he'd say, well, if David didn't kill him, he needs to be executed, so I will do it. But no, he wasn't the state. It's up to the state, not personal vengeance. The Bible says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord, and he delegates it to the state. So in a way, though, you can understand some of his feelings, saying this man did, Amnon did so many bad things, and he thinks he's getting away with it. How would you react if this had happened to your sister or to your daughter or to your wife? You'd be out of control with rage. And so Absalom was out, but it was mixed with his sin. If David had punished Amnon, I think Absalom would have been somewhat satisfied saying, well, that's a bad ending of a story, but at least justice has been served, but it wasn't served. And so uh, when justice isn't served, People sometimes go on a rampage. There are riots and they go out of control, but you can sympathize with their feelings. You mean he got away with that? And so let's take it into our own hands. Somebody's they start a mob or a lynch mob or a riot or something. That's kind of like what he's doing here. And it says here also that Absalom despised David for not doing the right thing. We would despise a a judge that lets an innocent person off, wouldn't, a guilty person off, wouldn't you? You'd say, that's not right. We know he's guilty and you let him off. So he takes things into his own hands, but the Bible says, no, you have to leave it to God or the powers that be. And that's what he should have done, but he didn't. Bible never allows vigilante justice. What's vigilante justice? It's when you take the law into your own hands. That's what Absalom did. He should have gone to David and said, David, the law of Moses says you have to do this. Amnon had a wicked friend and so did Absalom. These ones that killed kill Amnon, they were murderers, thugs. I'm sure they thought they were cool just like Absalom and they're thinking now they're going to be high up in the government. Absalom will be king. Absalom rebelled against his own father and sought to kill him. It's called patricide. But unlike the prodigal son who hated his father and left, Absalom went and hid and he came back and he forced his father to leave. So it would be like the prodigal son coming back after living with the hogs and not repenting and saying, Dad, you gave me some of the inheritance. I want it all. So I want you and my older brother off the ranch and I get it all. You'd say, I didn't learn any lessons. Well, neither did Absalom. He comes back and he forces his father to leave. And I'll spare the next details, but this fulfilled Nathan's prophecy. He become, Absalom becomes flagrantly immoral with David's female servants. <coughs> <coughs> On the housetop of the palace, 
so that everybody could see. And people today would excuse this. They'd admire a man like this. But it eventually caught up on Mr. Absalom, the poetic justice of his death. He gloried in this long hair, but that was his undoing. Like Amnon, Absalom didn't get away with his great sin, just like David didn't, nor does anybody else. You don't have to be one of the prison inmates that writes to me to say, I thought I could get away with my crime, but I didn't. The Bible says, be sure your sin will find you out, and if you think you get away with it in this life, you cannot get away with it at judgment day. Your sins will come back to haunt you. Your crimes will. People think they're getting away with it only because God has not yet judged them. Today, they'd build a monument in, in honor of Absalom. But decent people would see that plaque and they'd go and spit on it and they'd say, how dare you make a monument after a guy like Absalom or Amnon? Things are all backwards today. Okay, here's a third bad example. We had Amnon, we had Absalom, David. You see, he's the father of these two brothers. He had all these wives and concubines, but these, he was the father of Absalom and Amnon. And remember Nathan's prophecy. You are the man, and because of this, and he said, you know, it's going to trickle down to your own family, David. You brought it upon them. And you remember I told you last week about the law of Moses. It said, you steal a sheep, you have to pay back four. Okay, four being paid back. The baby died. Amnon died, Absalom died, and it also, what happened with Solomon, he also grossly backslid, all goes back to David's sin. It got passed on down. And Nathan also prophesied that there would be this flagrant immorality. David did it uh, in secret, and he says, but one of your sons is going to do it openly, and that would be fulfilled in Absalom. David sinned with Bathsheba, chipped away at his character, and he never fully, though he repented, he couldn't make amends. And so his weakness led to these. Exodus 20, verse 5, God is just, and it says, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children. I preached on that a couple of years ago. And uh, like father, like son, these men were imitating dear old dad. But dad, what you did with Bathsheba, what's wrong with me and Tamar? And, you know, you killed Uriah. Well, what's wrong with Absalom killing? He set a bad example. Sins get passed on down. They, you need to cut the chain so it doesn't get passed on down. So they were imitating David with his murder and immorality and lies. That often happens today. This is what breaks the heart of pastors when they can see it coming. I'm thinking of one couple where they, um, they weren't married, they had two children out of wedlock and they didn't fully repent and I said, don't you realize what's going to happen? Those girls are gonna imitate mama one day and they did. And I didn't have to tell the parents, I told you so back then and you didn't do anything about it. Parents need to see that they are the prime uh, models for their children, either for good or bad, and they should notice the pattern and repent, cut that chain, swim against the stream. But parents find it hard to do. If, say, the children find out what their parents had done before they were born, 
uh, and then the parents say, don't do that. And the child says, but mama, but daddy, you did that. And then the parents say, yes, but I was wrong. They tend to forget that. And then, of course, sometimes there are other excuses. Uh, I've heard this before where a parent says to the child, now as a teenager, I told you don't do marijuana. It's wrong. But daddy, when you come home from work, you always have a mixed drink. There's not much difference. They see hypocrisy there. That's even worse. And then there's twisted judgment in this. Uh, Maybe David thought that since God had spared him for the immorality and the murder, he could also spare Amnon and Absalom and and not execute them. So his judgment is skewed. That's what happens in these cases. But God gave David a special pardon, and David could not have given that pardon to Amnon and Absalom. He didn't know enough about the law of Moses. And all this didn't happen overnight. Remember, this is over the space of years. And that il- indicates the culmination of a pattern. Uh, David should have remembered something f- that he had learned from old Samuel. When Samuel took over being a judge from Eli, do you remember a few months ago we looked at that? Uh, 1 Samuel 3.13 Uh, Eli was old, but he never punished his son for doing what? Immorality with the ladies that helped at the temple and getting drunk and helping themselves to the offerings. And it said that Eli, quote, his sons made themselves vile and he did not restrain them. David had not restrained uh, Amnon and Absalom and he was sowing the seeds for what would later happen. What says, you know, what a man sows. He will reap. He had spoiled them. And that often happens when parents spoil their children. I remember one father weeping, saying, I spoiled my son when he was a teenager. I bought him a motorcycle. I gave him all these toys, and I gave him everything he ever wanted. And now he's saying, but my son is wild, getting in trouble with the law, probably going to go to prison. I never taught him the Bible. I never spanked him. I never punished him. And I said, Are you so stupid you didn't see that you were rewarding bad behavior and not punishing it? You were training him to do wrong. Just like David and Eli. Often what happens. And then often when these children grow up and act wild as can be like these two men in the story here, the parents are sometimes shocked. We did everything we could for them. No, they need to realize they didn't do everything they could. They were not teaching them to respect authority, your authority or God's authority. And that breaks the hearts of parents and I hope it doesn't break the hearts of the parents here. The days of picnics and piggyback rides are gone forever and they say, I would give anything if we could go back 10 years and do it right. James Dobson wrote a book called Discipline While You Can. And they should have subtitled it, Or You Will Live to Regret It. David regretted it. Proverbs 22, 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is grown, he shall not depart from it. Now, no parent is perfect. Sometimes they can do everything, but that doesn't guarantee their children will uh, become Christians or live the godly lifestyles. You're not God, but your responsibility is doing it in God's way. But on the other hand, some people say, well, since we 
can't guarantee it, then it doesn't matter how we raise them. Yes, it does matter. If you don't discipline them, you're teaching them to sin. Yes, they are guilty, but then so are you, and sometimes parents need to examine themselves to see, like David, did we contribute to this in any degree? No parent is perfect. So David's negligence in particular is evident in his failure to punish Amnon for his multiple crimes as well as sins and not punishing Absalom. He was king. He was sworn to uphold God's law, but he didn't. The principle applies here. The Bible holds parents responsible for training up their children and punishing them in the right way and here's where it really gets hard. And this is a principle that transfers from the law of Moses to today. What would happen in the law of Moses if they find out a son has come of age and he's a drunkard and all these terrible things? He is to be severely punished. And in the theocracy of Israel, that was capital punishment. And who was to take part in that? The parents. Can you imagine a parent saying, you want me to participate in the stoning of my own son? Just like, David, you want me to turn Amnon or Absalom over and, and to be punished? Yes. How does that apply today? That case I mentioned earlier about the father that was crying because he said, I bought my son toys and motorcycles when he was young. And I said, well, has your son already broken the law? Yes. A felony? Yes. He got caught stealing some stuff. I said, phone the police and be willing to testify. You want me to testify against my own son and send him to the state prison? Yes. According to the word of God, you have to turn him in. Otherwise, you are giving the bat, you're letting him get away with that, dad. Bible holds parents responsible for punishing their children. If the children break the law, the parents need to turn them over. That's, our, that's a big responsibility for you parents. And in a way, I envy your courage for willing to raise your children by the Bible. Not easy, is it, Jeff, Dina? Not easy to raise children. But God will help you when you say, I want to do it God's way. Some people, and then it's not just if a child breaks the law. Let's say it's younger. You've heard people say, well, I love my son or daughter too much to spank them. No, according to the Bible, if you don't spank them, you're not loving them. If you love them, you'll do that. That's how you teach them. And you don't want to teach them rebellion against God. You don't want to give a bad example and let them get away with things. Discipline while you can. If David had executed Amnon, Absalom would not have killed him. He would have been executed. And he wouldn't have sought to overthrow David. But since David didn't do it, Absalom thought he could get away with this. And what was the result? Civil war. Not just Amnon and Absalom dying. Thousands of troops died in that civil war going back to Amnon, Absalom, and David, the bad examples. It should have been nipped in the bud immediately. Even going back before David did what he did with Bathsheba. But if it's not nipped in the bud, you have only yourself to blame. And I'm sure David went to Nathan and said, I brought it upon not only myself, but my sons and even my daughter, Tamar. By the way, there's someone else in this narrative that shares in some of the blame. A man named Talmai, Absalom's grandfather. You remember? He ran and hid out with the, the granddad. 
What should the granddad have done? You're not welcome. Here, here. I'm going to take you back to the court and say to my son, David, he needs to be punished. But he harbored him. Grandparents should not shelter their rebellious grandchildren. If they run away from mom and dad over to grandma and grandpa, the grandma and grandpa would say, nope, you're going back home. And if you don't go, I'm taking you back. In extreme cases, even call the police. You, you told me you broke the law. Let's call the police. How does this all end? David weeping, oceans of tears and regrets, but the damage has been done. Yesterday, I quoted to our missionary in the Middle East uh, an old uh, Arab proverb. I don't know where I heard it, but he said, yep, that's, that's an Arab proverb. Uh, a wise man learns from the mistakes of others. A fool has to learn from his own mistakes, and an idiot learns from nobody's mistakes. Can we learn from the mistakes of David? Amnon, Absalom, or even the naiveness of Tamara, or are we going to ignore them? We can learn from their tears as well. By the way, Psalm 3 in its uh, superscription at the beginning refers to this incident without going into the details. We can also learn lessons here for parents, what to do. It's never too late to turn to God. You see, though David was rebuked for his sin, he did repent. We don't find Amnon or Absalom repenting. This shows us David really was a man after God's own heart. He cried out for mercy and he was forgiven. He had to pay some of the consequences. There are consequences of sin in this life, even though we don't go to hell in the next one. God does chasten. So we learn about David, a man after God's own heart. And God willing, in our next lesson, we're going to look at the real David. Some people think, David, yeah, Bathsheba. That shouldn't be the first thing that comes to our mind. We're going to look at the real David that was a man after God's own heart. Let's pray. Father, we feel embarrassed to even look at these incidents. They're sorted, but then you, you paint these people, warts and all, including David. Help us to learn from their bad examples so that this sort of bad example is not written about us in our life. Keep us humble, protect us from temptation. And Father, help us to be like the real David, who even when he sinned greatly, he repented greatly. Thank you, Father, for these stories and the principles in them help us to learn them. In Jesus' name, amen.